This is the Education Gadfly Show. I'm an American male. I don't watch things that go clip-clop, clip-clop. <laughs> I say. It's just not what I do. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Alyssa Schwenk of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Lady Edith of Education Reform, Robert Pondicio. The who? I take it you weren't watching uh, Downton Abbey's oh, series you know, finale never, on Sunday night? I, I, I kind of, I'm an American male. I don't watch things that go clip-clop, clip-clop. <laughs> I say, it's just not what I do. I will point out that Mike is a fan of it, and he too is an American male. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> I, I don't have a, a, Any, a, a witty comeback for that. All right. Well, anyways, it ended on Sunday, and spoiler alert for those who haven't uh, watch the finale, which I think includes Mike, who's a little bit behind, but Lady Edith, who has been the constant sad sack of the show, mm-hmm. ends up all ends up well for her. You just said that the president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute is a little behind. On his Downton Abbey viewing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No, okay. no, no. She didn't mean it, Mike. <laughs> all right. Sorry, Mike. You're on the road this week. We're sorry. All right. Are we ready for Pardon the Gadfly? We are. Clara, take it off. All right, Robert, you recently wrote a piece about the differences in perspective of Ta-Nehisi Coates and Lin-Manuel Miranda's most influential works. Which take did you find most compelling and why? You know, I, I should stay, start by saying I'm not sure this is their take. Um, Hamilton, everybody loves Hamilton. I, mm-hmm. I was one of the, the few who actually got to see it. And frankly, I, I sat there with my arms crossed hoping to hate it because I'm just that guy who refuses to like other things that other people I'm hype. shaking my head right yeah, now. Yeah, loved it. Just loved it. And, and as a, a part-time teacher of low-income kids of color in Harlem, I thought this is exactly, and I teach civics, so this is exactly mm-hmm. what I want my students to, to come away from their education believing, that, that they own a piece of the American dream, that it is not about dead white males, mm-hmm. it's about their lived experience. Hamilton communicates mm-hmm. that beautifully. Uh, it also, I found at the time, kind of was the um, the, the antidote, let's say, for having having just read Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me, mm-hmm. which everybody praised. And look, both of these guys uh, are MacArthur Grant geniuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will confess that I struggled with the Coates book. I, I didn't see in it what everybody else saw in it. Mm-hmm. And I thought as a teacher, as somebody in education, this is just bleak, be, beyond bleak. It's despairing. It, it offers no hope. Uh, it basically suggests and even states that America is uh, hopelessly, structurally racist and, and it cannot be changed. It's just the nature of the country. Uh, so the piece that I wrote, thank you for bringing it up, basically concluded by saying, I want my students to read uh, Coates, but I want them to believe Miranda, and I mean that earnestly, because uh, as teachers, the day that we give up in uh, on this this narrative arc of building a more perfect union, we, we might as well just go mm-hmm. home and, and stop trying, to, to, trying to, to, to hand this over to the next generation, which is what I think Hamilton does beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I will just throw out there, Robert, I rarely compliment you on your writing, because it's like when LeBron James tweets photos of his kids winning basketball trophies, and I'm like, come on, LeBron James, like, <laughs> your kids are like the bar is so high it's just uniformly great and your writing is always so uniformly great Um, but this one was one I thought that was just especially a fantastic read everyone should read it but thank you Uh, it has a different connotation in the south you know 
Bless your heart. It <laughs> well, does? Yeah, we'll oh. get there on another day. Okay. But uh, so th- it's normally, it's just not a connection, I think, that a lot of people would make. Like, what kind of triggered... Was it just the timing? You just read the book and then you saw the musical? Well, like, how'd you make yeah. this connection? Uh, because it was the MacArthur Foundation did it for me by making them both mm-hmm. uh, Genius Grant winners uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I, I will be completely kenned with you. When when I read the Coates book, I wanted very, very much to say something about it. Like, let's think twice before mm-hmm. we praise this. And then David Brooks, um, bless his heart, beat me <laughs> to it and got eviscerated. People were not in the mm-hmm. mood to hear that uh, here's a middle-aged white guy uh, criticizing Ta-Nehisi Coates. So I kind of put it aside. And then after seeing Hamilton, then I thought, okay, that's the answer right there. In other words, if you can, if you can see America through the eyes mm-hmm. of these two young geniuses, both men of color, who have very, very different takes, uh, that to me was the frame that enabled me to say this. Mm-hmm. I was also reading a few days ago a piece in NPR by a writer of color whose name is escaping me right now, but he went to go see Hamilton because Hamilton is awesome. Uh, he, lo- I'm still trying to find a ticket. Uh, he loved it, but he pointed out he was one of the few people of color in the audience. And oh, I know, And I know that uh, I think it's... Uh, Rockefeller Foundation mm-hmm. uh, is partnering with New York City schools to ensure that all high schoolers yep. can see the performance. But how do you think, and you talk about it in your piece, that at some point Hamilton's going to be performed yeah. by, you know, white suburban high schoolers because it's that's such just a... what happens to right. high school musicals, right? Right. Eventually they end up at Neutre High School or I, some such. And um, I would love to see that kid try and rap Lafayette's yeah. part in Guns and Ships. It's but... going to be really interesting. And uh, you'll have to let me know in 20 years what the like. <laughs> I'll, I'll be old in the home so so come visit me and tell me uh, but but seriously it, it really is it what makes the show it's a great show the music is great uh, it's a terrific performance but what makes it culturally important mm-hmm. is this very idea that you are seeing rapping singing dancing mm-hmm. Hamilton Jefferson Lafayette uh, embodied by young black and brown men they're mm-hmm. not dead white guys that's the point mm-hmm. so does that point survive when it's white high school kids in the suburbs somewhere it'll be a real challenge I'd love mm-hmm. to ask Lin-Manuel Miranda hey what are you going to do with the licensing for this show, mm-hmm. are you going to allow it to be performed uh, by a non-diverse cast? Because the diverse cast is is not just a feature, it's the exact point. Right. Uh, you know, there has been a spike in people Googling whether or not Hamilton is white since the play started oh, gaining no popularity. Yep, that's true. Well, he is from, is from the Caribbean. That is true. I will say, though, I do think um, you mentioned kind of the unending bleakness of Coates' view and whether or not that's something that as an educator who is not of color can kind of operationalize when they're working with black and brown kids. I do think, I think your view is almost as bleak as his view. I think that, I think that even though, you know, we talk, he talks about it's an oppressive system and teachers can be tools of the oppressors. Like I do think being able to identify that this is the way that, you know, kids of color are seeing the system that they're Mm -hmm. going through the system and doing so in a powerful way helps teacher's process and helps them become less tools of that system. Maybe I'm Maybe. being optimistic. And and either you're optimistic or you're in the wrong profession if mm-hmm. you're in education. So there's that. Look, you know, again, I, and I think I said this in the piece, it is not mm-hmm. my place to criticize Ta-Nehisi Coates. You know, mm-hmm. my experience is not his. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I said this. I, I've not lived a single day outside mm-hmm. of the dream that he he, he uh, just derides in, mm-hmm. in this book. So there's there's that. Uh, I just wish, because um, look, he, he is obviously a, a young man of color who has done very, very well in this country, mm-hmm. um, despite uh, the, the, the facts of his upbringing. So if it happened for you, sir, why can it not happen for my students? Food for thought. Uh, for more, check out Robert's piece. It's in the 74 and on our website right now. But for now, Clara, question two. 
Frank Bruni's article, Hidden Gold in College Applications, suggests that colleges need to look beyond what is presented to them in transcripts when weighing applicants for admission. Many students come from less than ideal living situations, but how can colleges accurately measure the value of an applicant's life experiences? So this one for me is a really interesting question because, Robert, as I think you know, I did not go to the highest performing high school. I came from a rural state. I went to one of the lower performing high schools in my state. And look at you now. And look at me now. But a lot of that I would actually attribute to I got into a really great school. And Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, uh, there was this whole movement on college campuses to, you know, have students request their own uh, records of admission Mm -hmm. because it was supposed to lead to a lot more transparency. And the movement didn't really get off the ground, but they did have a blurb that you could email to your admissions office if you wanted to see your uh, admissions record. Hmm. And I absolutely did. You did? So I emailed them. I know, right? It was a little terrifying. The folder sat on my uh, desk for like a week or two before I actually opened it. And like I did well in college. Like it ended up being a really good match. Um, But it was really interesting to kind of read their comments. And I know that I had an SAT score that was kind of on the lower end of the 25-75 percentile. Um, And it was interesting because one of the things that this college, and I went to Penn, the judged was kind of your potential index. Okay. Uh, and they put that in, they quantified that. How? They put a number next to it. Okay. I, and it was, you know, my essays and my recommendations, which I still haven't seen, huh. um, and my grades and my coursework, and then the record of like whether or not I was taking the hardest courses at my call at my high school. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because I think colleges that is pro- that the ones that are profiled in Bruni's article, like they're able to invest these resources and they're able to go out and find right. these kids. It's Davidson. It's I know UNC is one of them. Yep. And Clara, you went to Davidson. Mm-hmm. We have a Davidson alum yeah. here. Um, but they're able to kind of invest these resources, and particularly the time to like look through these applications. Right. And I don't think that's a luxury that a lot of schools have is no. the time and the capacity to look at all. Of these kids and to find them where they are. And look, you know, I, I, I want to say this without sounding uh, churlish, um, but I do worry that this is a good idea that we could easily follow off the end of a cliff. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is it, it, there's this nagging sense about this, and Bruni has been on this this topic for, for about a while a year, now. Yeah. He wrote a piece not long ago uh, about uh, admissions to elite colleges uh, and de-emphasizing the academic rat race, so to speak. Mm-hmm. My phrase, not his. Um, okay, that's all well and good. We, you know, yeah, Yes, we should look at the whole student, but at what point does this become a kind of uh, war on meritocracy, so to speak? I don't want to overstate the case, mm-hmm. but if we are sending the signal to kids, hey, take the rigorous classes, take the APs, be prepared, um, at what point are we? do we risk set sending the signal that, hey, you know what, all that academic stuff, kid, eh, that's okay, but we're more concerned with the whole child. Um, I, I just worry that this can get squishy and touchy-feely and anti-academic mm-hmm. awfully fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would push back a little. I think it's almost trying to write the meritocracy and make sure it's an actual mm. meritocracy um, and I think a test score I think what the SAT and the ACT are doing to kind of improve and the SAT just launched um, new, their new, new version SAT the 3.0. new new SAT I took the very first uh, edition of the new SAT way back in the mid aughts I um, took mine after the earth cooled <laughs> It's okay. We I can't get out of this one well. <laughs> Anyways, um, I do think that kind of moving the test towards something that is ideally more suited to or more reflective of their curriculum could be a good move. But I do think, you know, making sure that 
whether or not the kids are taking the AP classes. Like, you want to make sure that they have the AP classes. Mm-hmm. Just looking at a test score doesn't even look get into whether or not they've taken no, the AP no, classes. No, no, and that's why I'm not going to protest too mm-hmm. much. I think the, the impulse is right, but boy, you could write a really good history of education about good em- impulses that had uh, deleterious consequences. Could this be another one? Let's see. You could say that again. All right, question three, Clara. A group of opt-out supporters, including Noam Chomsky and Diane Ravitch, have submitted a letter to the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee this week, recommending that its members not confirm Acting Secretary John King. Is this likely to gain any traction? Well, considering that the Senate just voted, or the committee just voted to move John King through to the entire Senate vote, I would say... No, no. <laughs> no. And look, you know, I, I, this, I, I, well, let me choose my words carefully here. Um, you know, uh, John King, I don't care what your politics are. If you look at this guy's resume, he is the poster child for what we are supposed to be doing in this work. Uh, grew up in Brooklyn, lost both of his parents at a very young age, credited public school teachers for mm-hmm. literally saving his life, not just putting him on a good path. Uh, went to Harvard, started a school. Yes, oh, an evil charter school. Oh, woe is me. <laughs> but good Lord, when you consider the, the, the trajectory that this man is on, has been on, and now he's secretary of freaking education. or Almost. Almost. <laughs> if we cannot agree uh, as a nation that this is exactly the kind of person we want in this role, we're not going to agree on anything. <laughs> all right. And I think that's about all we can say on that topic. Uh, so that's the end of Pardon the Gadfly. Thank you, Clara. And up next, it's Amber's Research Minute. We are back with Amber for Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome. Thank you, Alyssa. So earlier we were discussing Downton Abbey, which concluded... (laughs) Okay, wrong crowd. Okay, next time I'm having Mike and Victoria on. I know they watch. I'm pretty sure Victoria watches. Oh, I don't watch. She's British. Right, it's like a constitutional requirement. I just am not a... They don't have a not a watcher of that. I'm not going to be able to get any banter on that show. I'm sorry to report. We just did it. Well, we have done the banter, so what is... Uh, what study do you have All for us right. this week? We got a new study out by Brian Jacob and colleagues that examines the relationship between teacher hiring data and subsequent teacher performance in DCPS. So that's District of Columbia for those who are uninitiated. Um, the study actually, I actually saw an old working paper a year ago, but apparently this is the new and improved version. So analysts focus on information gathered in 2011 through 2013 through Teach DC, which is DC's centralized application process. It collects a ton of data on applicants' education history, their employment, and their eligibility for, I guess, getting a license. So the study included about 7,000 applicants, which is a pretty good size. Yeah. Uh, And the Teach DC process winnows down applicants based on their performance on a subject-specific assessment. Like those. Uh Mm -hmm. An interview, personal interview, and a teaching audition. They have to (laughs) kind of give a little lesson they actually lesson. call it an audition? They do. <laughs> like a performance. Like a demo lesson, an audition? We called them demos. When I was American applying, they were demo Idol? lessons. Demo lessons. All, all right. right. Anyhow, it includes those who pass all through state, all three stages. Then you get put in the rec- 
recommended pool that gets seen by principals. Okay, mm-hmm. and you can be hired outside of the pool, but anyway, this is one of the main strategies they use to to hire. Okay, and then the data also include uh, information from Impact. So they also aggregate all the Impact scores for all district teachers for 2011 through 2014. Okay, mm-hmm. so big database. Key findings: applicants with no prior teaching experience are less likely to be hired by DCPS schools. So they tend to like those who have some experience. Makes sense. Number two, teachers with better academic credentials appear to be no more or less likely to be hired. This is stuff like Hmm. ACT or SAT scores. So that showed nothing one way or the other. Number three, for those who are hired, achievement measures. So this is, just like I said, SAT, ACT scores, undergraduate GPA, and college selectivity, what we're talking about, and some screening measures such as their performance on the demo lesson mostly did not predict hiring outcomes. So all that huh. stuff that I just named so what didn't did? predict hiring outcomes but were all nonetheless positively, positively related to performance. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um, those with a graduate degree have higher performance scores as well, which we don't always hear, right? Well, we see right, like this right. graduate degree does nothing. They didn't find well, that. the graduate degree in education at least. Does, does very little. <laughs> um, but they did find that the three application scores, those three things I told you, the subject test, the interview, mm-hmm. and the audition, um, are all positively predicted teacher performance. So that's, a, that's good news. Okay. Okay. But, um, so they did, at the end, they do this sort of graph where they, you know, do all these fancy statistics, and they find that those who are hired by DCPS do tend to have higher average predicted performance, so that's a good thing. But there are also many applicants who are not hired, but whose predicted performance exceeds the average of those who are. So you got a bunch of people that still could be really great if mm-hmm. they got into the system. And then they find that principals appear not to pay much heed to all this other information we've been oh, talking God. about. They just really look at whether they're in the recommended pool or not. Really? Right? Um, So apparently, like, that's a mistake, right? Because there's all these other things that I just mentioned that actually do predict um, higher uh, teaching Are we talking about big effect sizes here or small ones? Uh, I think they're pretty sizable. Okay, Um, so this is worth paying attention to. It's worth paying attention to. And I remember, um, I mean, one of the things they end up saying is, you know what, like, they're trying to, I mean, I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to make this easier. Like, hey, we've already screen these folks. Right. These are mm-hmm. the folks that we think really are going to be your best bets. Um, but there's so much, I mean, DC is unique, right? They're one of the few districts mm-hmm. that actually go about this very thoughtfully and collect mm-hmm. all these data and, and by the way, can tie it to performance in the classroom. Right. Right. So it's almost like they have a wealth of riches and embarrassment of data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think on the positive side, they really tried to make it useful for principals who don't have time to wade through all this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe they actually overlook some diamonds in the rough yeah, relative to nuggets that they could actually be using more thoughtfully and explaining to principals so that they could get some of these other people in the door that didn't make it, right? Because right. they didn't uh, land in the pool. So, And that's where the rub is. It's not It's not who is, uh, once they get in the pool, it's whether they get in the pool to begin with. Right. Right. And because they can hire outside the pool. Oh. So they actually have all this information for all the applicants. Okay. But it's not being leveraged Got as it. it could be. So I think, you know, it was a fairly 
really, I think it's a really encouraging evaluation because number one, there's actually a place in the country that that cares and really right. is trying to do this mm-hmm. right. Um, but number two, like I said, like they just have so much that now they got to figure out how to wrestle the beast right. and make it most useful for principals. Mm-hmm. Um, and how exciting that they've actually been able to find a handful of things that that really predict effectiveness mm-hmm. beyond yeah. what we've you know thought before. So beyond the credential or whatnot, right? Yeah. So you definitely kind of touched on it, but DC is certainly unique in its approach to teacher hiring and teacher effectiveness um, and has all of this data. Are there any lessons that other districts can draw regarding hiring from this or is it just because DC has all of these systems in place that we can really dig into Well, it? they go, they have a section that talks about like this is really not and I don't remember the data exactly but they do a cost benefit analysis mm-hmm. and pretty much say like for what they're spending on doing this and the potential gains to students from having a highly effective teacher like this is a no-brainer. Right. Um, districts need to be doing this. So absolutely I would say that it doesn't it doesn't seem like that this is like that far out of the realm of what districts should be doing, period. Yeah. Right? Like and I've done these principal studies before about hiring and you go into real places and they still have like manila envelopes and paper and oh, aren't even entering God. you know what I mean? Aren't even entering mm-hmm. the application data in a in a in a mm-hmm. spreadsheet. Yeah. So I think like, you know, we tend to think districts are further along than they are and then when you go to real districts other than DCPS you find that it's sort of archaic still and, and mm-hmm. when it's smaller districts it's uh, probably makes those look sophisticated that's right mm-hmm. and so you know and, and this is not hard stuff to collect right they talked in here about they used to actually have them do live demo I don't know what you had to do Alyssa but I, I had to Same do a days. demo lesson but, but I was, was it videoed because they used uh, to do them live now they do them videos so it was not it. live but I wasn't applying to DCPS I was pr- oh, applying right. to a program that then placed me in DC schools okay so that's one way they mm-hmm. ended up you know saving some money is having the teachers you know send the video in mm-hmm. um, so yeah I just I don't know I mean maybe I'm naive I just don't think this stuff is that hard to collect you know this is easy sort of basic do, demographic and basic background data so mm-hmm. I mean the harder part is then tying it to the teacher performance exactly. impact scores that's mm-hmm. where the rub is but collecting at the front end the just basic descriptive data mm-hmm. doesn't seem too difficult shouldn't be fascinating well thanks so much Amber mm-hmm. until next time I'm Robert Pundicio. And I'm Alyssa Schwenk for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.